Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You are listening to Scoop B Radio. What's going on? I hope wherever you're listening from, you and your loved ones are safe during this COVID-19 period. Hey, this is the producer of Scoop B Radio, DJ Manio. I would just like to take the time out to give a big thanks for the listeners to the pod. We did record numbers last month. So on behalf of Scoop B and myself, thank you for the four years of supporting Brandon on his media journey. If you have a few minutes to spare, please fill out a short listener survey. Go to scoopyradio.com slash poll. You can also share your opinions about the show so we know what works and what we can do better. That's scoopyradio.com slash poll. S-C-O-O-P, the letter B, R-A-D-I-O dot com slash P-O-L-L. Don't worry if you didn't catch any of that. The link will be in the description. You're listening to Scoopy Radio with Brendan Robinson. Kate Manny. Manny. One, L. Scoopy Radio. You know what's official if Barry Bond said, yo. The best in the business. That's word of Scoop. You either tuning in or reading up word from Scoop. He give you the business. He show you the proof. If Scoop B said, you know it's the truth. Sports and entertainment. He give you the mix. Some of the biggest interviews. He give you the fix. On iTunes, the number one podcast, the joint and the journalist, the GOAT, so why ask? Watch out, watch out. about it? If he naming them, scoopd.com, do numbers like Chamberlain. Pin game is a gift, got the gift to gab. If he say it is gospel, it's as simple as that. Now pay attention and you can see the way it go. Enough of this talking. This is Scoop B Radio. You're listening to Scoop B Radio. Get on his Instagram now. At Follow Scoop him. B. At Scoop Beast, follow him. Yes, sir. Scoopy Radio. Scoopy Radio. The airwaves, on the plane, on the train, everywhere you need to be. I am Brandon Scoopy Robinson. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at Scoop B. Instagram and Snapchat at Scoop underscore B. And make sure, most importantly, that you're subscribed to the Scoop B Radio podcast, available on all podcasting platforms. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn app, Stitcher app, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or simply by visiting ScoopBRadio.com. 2.1 million streams last year, and one of the reasons why is because we stay in the know with newsmakers who are impacting culture. 
on the line right now is a guy that really knows, needs no introduction, but because he's an OG, we've got to let him in. It's none other than Los Angeles Lakers assistant coach Phil Handy. Brother Handy, welcome to Scoopy Radio. Hey, man, I appreciate you having me on. What's happening? Man, it's been a minute. Last time I saw you was probably uh, January 25th when you were in Philly. Man, that was a bad night. <laughs> that was that was that was a that was a bad night on on many different levels. But it was good to see you, though. Yes, sir. Always a pleasure. Um, no season going on. Um, currently, we're on hiatus. What have you been doing? Um, I guess to better yourself. Man, B, I've actually I've actually just kind of stepped away from from the NBA life completely, man. I've, I've, uh, I've enjoyed not having anything to do. So like for the last nine years to be ever since I became a coach in the NBA, my schedule has been nonstop during the season, after the season. So this is the first time in nine years, man, that I've actually had some time to myself to, uh, to really just step away and, and focus on some stuff that I like to do, you know, spending, spending time with my family a little bit more. I've been more engaged with my family, I've been uh, spending a lot of time working on my app, you know, 94 Feet of Game app, and and just really trying to help people, you know, during this crazy time, find ways to continue working out at home. So it's just it's been a little bit refreshing time for me. Tell me more about your app. Yeah, man, the app is um, that's been a lifelong passion project for me. You know, the 94 Feet of Game app is is really an application that I I created to. Basically, I use the term share knowledge, right? Um, I have, I've coached some of the best players to ever play. I've been around some of the, some great coaches, you know, in my time as an NBA coach, coaches I played for. And as I've kind of grown in the basketball industry, you know, I've, I've had a lot of people reach out to me about drills and techniques and how do I do this and how do I do that? So, you know, the best thing that I was able to create was uh, this app. Which is just basically a one, you know, one-stop shop. It's for any coach, any trainer, any player, any parent, you know, anybody that wants to become a little bit more well-versed in the game of basketball and how to teach it. You know, the app is 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 that it's a great resource for for the game of basketball. So, Handy on the line with Scoop B Radio, uh, an undrafted uh, guard out of the University of Hawaii and what I find interesting about your journey everybody knows about who you who you coach and we'll get to that in a minute but um, one of the things that really stood out to me in, in just doing research and, and checking out your resume uh, was your time with the CBA and one of the reasons why that that kind of um, stands out to me is because I know the greatness that has come out of the CBA you look at guys like Damon Jones and Earl Boykins Mm-hmm. Um, you hear names like the Yakima Sun Kings and some of those mm-hmm. other things. And that kind of gets swept under the bridge because back in the day, like in the 90s, a lot of 10-day contract guys would be in and out of the CBA and go to the NBA. Right. What, was, what was that CBA experience like for you? Man, that's hard knocks. That was, um, that was an eye-open experience for me because, you know, as a young player, I didn't really know much about the CBA. All you hear about is the NBA, right? So mm-hmm. when I was released uh, from the Golden State Warriors that season and I had to go to the CBA, I was upset. I was angry. I felt um, I felt like the CBA was beneath me, quite honestly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, here I was a dude that wasn't drafted. You know, I kind of was feeling myself a little bit. 
man, that was an immediate wake up call when I got down there because there was some hungry cats down there, uh, young and old. And it was a lot of players down there that were on the bubble to be in the NBA players that had played at a high level in Europe. Some players that had played in the NBA and wanted to get back to the NBA. The CBA was the G League. That was mm-hmm. the G League, the G League before the G League. And people don't really understand like the G League now. I have nothing but profound respect for it. But the G League now is kind of like, uh, the CBA is, was so much tougher because we were in different times. It wasn't supported, quote unquote, by the NBA. But it was a place that the NBA did 10-day call-ups from. But mm-hmm. it, wa- it wasn't an NBA affiliation um, by name. So, you know, we were just out there on our own. And, man, that was probably – I made my bones in the CBA just by a lot of older cats took me under their wings and say, hey, look, fella, like, young fella, if you want to you wanna survive in this business, then you got to understand that there's all kind of levels of professional athletes. And the dudes in the CBA, man, they were tough. It was a, it was a, it was a grind because it wasn't about money. It was not about money. It was about cats that really loved the game, and they wanted to further their careers by either getting a high level job in Europe or getting an opportunity to get called up. So, on any given night, you know that's real. And I, and it's interesting because when I listen to just how the WNBA. Um, you know, amended their their CB, their collective bargaining agreement, and you know, the you know the flying commercials, the WNBA versus you know the NBA teams flying private. I'm curious to know what the amenities were like for you guys. Did you guys fly commercial? What kind of hotels did you stay in? What was it like? <laughs> it wasn't the NBA. I'm gonna tell you that. Um, look, man, small towns. You're talking about commercial flights at four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> uh, you're talking about six, seven-hour bus rides sometimes. That's why I said, man, people don't really understand the grind. And the G League is like that, too. That's a heavy grind, too. Now, I don't want people to misunderstand what I mean by that. You know, mm-hmm. the, G- the G League is on that grind, too. You know, you're on commercial flights. There's no private flights. So, you know, you're, 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 you're flying. You're in the airport. You're in the airport early in the mornings. And so it's it's tough. And the hotels... Maybe two and a half, three star hotels, maybe. Hmm. So, you know, again, it's not a, it's not a glamorous life, man. It's, it's just, you want to play basketball. This was, that was one of the avenues to, uh, to again, further your career. What NBA players, past or present, did you go up against in the CBA? Oh, man, there was a lot. I'm trying to think, man. Uh, Jeez, let me let me now let me take back my Rolodex. <laughs> Think back on my CBA team. On my team, I had Cliff Rozier, I had Ala Abdul Nabi, hmm. um, I had Snoop Graham. People don't probably don't even know who that is. Snoop Graham was an NBA player. Daryl Johnson was our starting point guard, NBA player. Um, Rodney Monroe was an NBA player playing for Eric Musselman. Uh, Shelton hmm. Jones was an NBA player. Man, the G League was full of NBA. Vincent Askew, Mario Ellie, all these dudes, all these dudes were in the G League. Charles Smith from Georgetown. G, I mean, the CBA was was loaded. It was loaded with with NBA talent. Man, why was it difficult for you back in the nineties? 
Uh, I don't know what kind of player you were back then. I can only go by text, and there was no social media back then. Right. But you played on the preseason team with the Warriors. You played on the preseason team with the Blazers. What was the sticking point? What was what was the issue with, with I guess, finding a stability? Yeah. That's a great question, man, because it, it's uh, – and even now becoming a coach and, and seeing on the other side of it, it's not always about basketball. Mm-hmm. It's, there's a lot of politics involved. You know, sometimes – it just might be the wrong team for you. Sometimes they may not need your position. Um, sometimes it might be one of the players on the team, dad knows somebody or dad was somebody. Mm-hmm. You know, all, all of these different things play a part. Look, I don't, I don't make any excuses for my, for my time. Um, you know, when I was there with the Warriors, man, I was there with a full, it was a star-studded backcourt. I had Tim Hardaway, Latrell Sprewell, Mark Price, BJ Armstrong, and and Chris Mullen. These dudes were all in front of me. So that was a numbers thing. There was really no room for me. And then there was John Barry. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and everybody knows who his dad was at the time. So that was just, okay, well, you're going to have to play the numbers game. Uh, Mr. Phil Handy, we're going to have to let you go. <laughs> um, you know, so that's that was kind of what happened with me in Golden State. Was I good enough? Absolutely. You asked Tim Hardaway. You you asked Latrell Sprewell. You asked Chris Mullen. You ask any of those dudes, was I good enough to be on that team? You'll get the same answer from all of them. Um, Portland, Portland was very similar. You know, I was in Portland with, with Kenny Anderson and Sasha Radonovich, J.R. Ryder, Mitchell Butler. Um, you know, they had all of these guys, you know, Randolph Childers. These guys were all under contract. And again, I was another guy that was trying to, trying to make a team. Same thing. You know, I think if you pick up the phone and call, Kenny Anderson and J.R. Ryder and asked them if I should have made that team, uh, they'll probably give you the same answer. <laughs> but it's just, you know, again, it's one of those things, man. It's it's just, it's not always about basketball. And sometimes certain guys fall through the cracks. Sometimes uh, it might be a numbers thing. Sometimes you're not good enough, you know. And, and I think there's all these different factors and people don't really understand how hard it is to become a player in the NBA. Present day, you from 2011 to current day, you have been on the bench uh, as an assistant coach with some pretty uh, big teams. Uh, you take it back to 2011 to 2013, you were in development under my ground uh, with Kobe Bryant, and I heard these stories that you told. Sorry, uh, basically heard some stories that you told. Where you know you talked about Kobe, you talked about you know being in the in the in the I guess in the trenches with him. Um, I don't want to say that's your foundation, but I would imagine that those stories carry a lot of weight now uh, because of sensitivity to what's going on with Kobe Bryant over the last few months. Do you consider those your formative years in the NBA? No, man. I I consider like what you said. I, those those years kind of they kind of helped me. Um, Man, they help. They help me, you know, really establish myself um, as a as a young coach. It gave me a foundation. Um, they were they were great. They were great educational years for me, if I can answer that properly. I learned so much. I, I learned so much in my first two years in the NBA because I wasn't well versed on what it was like to be an NBA coach. So, you know, whether it be Kobe or Derek Fisher. Or Matt Barnes or, or Powell Gasol. I mean, I met the players that I was next to my first year. You know, I was learning a lot 
on the fly, man. And I just think that um, it really just kind of taught me what the NBA was about from a coaching standpoint and what I was going to have to become good at in order to survive as a coach in the league. Tell me something. Pat Gasol, I feel, was ahead of his time um, in the sense of in today's NBA, if he was younger, I believe he would kill it. A guy that can rebound, a guy that can shoot 16-footer, um, a guy that can, 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 you know, draw the double team, kick it out. In my opinion, you being a former Cavs coach, you could probably relate to this. I feel like he was a, a speedier Zajunas Silkowskis on steroids. Um, <laughs> when you look at Pau Gasol, how do you think he would fare in today's NBA? Oh, phenomenal. He would fit right in. A young Pau Gasol? I mean, he, like you said, he was ahead of his time. And I think where the evolution of the game is going to now, he was one of those bigs that came to the league as a young player that had the ability to play inside, outside. And, man, he's smart. He's a playmaking big. He knew how to pass. He could dribble a little bit. He could post up. He could shoot. He did so many different things. And I don't, th- I don't really think people appreciate his skill set when he was at the prime of his game because, what, most of those years, a large part of those years were in Memphis. And then when, I th- when, he, when he came to Los Angeles in that big trade, I think people really started to understand what kind of player he was. But even still, I don't think he was really able to really fully showcase those abilities because, you know, he was, he was with Kobe, um, and playing, playing with Kobe, you know, that's, that's one of those things where everybody sacrifices a piece of their game because he was so, so dominant and so great. But Powell would definitely survive and thrive in the game today. Uh, a young Powell Gasol, man, would be, he would be elite. Who's today's Pau Gasol in the NBA? Man, that's a great, that's a great question. I mean, you look at guys like Kristoff, right? You know, I think he's he's more perimeter oriented. But when he first came into the league in New York, you kind of see that inside outside game. He's six ten. He can handle the ball. He can shoot it. He's long. You know, his his ability to play make. You know, I really like his game. Uh, I think. You know, there's a long list of guys. You look at Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis kind of reminds me of Powell in his build, right? Mm-hmm. Seven foot, very long, inside, outside, just very unassuming in their length and their athletic ability. But the way they play the game, it's uh, you got to pick your poison. You know, you pick your poison. Where do you where do you want him to play? You want him to play on the perimeter? Or you want him to play in the post? I think they're kind of they can kill you in both ways. Uh, I think there's a few other guys around the league, but those two guys come to mind you know, right away. You know, it's interesting you said it about Anthony Davis um, because you talk to certain people, past and current players. Um, they'll say that they look at Anthony Davis as a modern-day version of Tim Duncan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I see I see a lot of similarities with that. I think, obviously, Tim, Tim was uh, who he was, you know, the big fundamental. You know, that's kind of who he turns into. Anthony Davis has, I think he has all of those skill sets. Um, I just, I don't think he focuses on, on being as much of a, as of a back to back, back to the basket player. Agreed. I think, I think AD is just, he's one of those guys, man. He just floats. He could play anywhere, but, but yeah, I can see, I can see that, that, uh, that resemblance. Is Anthony Davis the NBA's defensive player of the year this season? Shit, he has to be, he definitely has to be in consideration. By no no doubt, um, I think his ability to impact the game 
at least I know now, having had a chance to coach him <laughs> and be on the sidelines and watch how he impacts and he cleans up a lot of mistakes. <laughs> mm-hmm. I wasn't I wasn't really aware of how sound he was defensively and and he uses his length and his athletic ability, man. He uses it very well. So he's definitely he's definitely one of the best defensive players in the NBA. Scoopy Radio on the line with Los Angeles Lakers assistant coach Phil Handy talking CBA, Lakers, and more. AD told me, um, he's told me throughout the course of the season um, that LeBron told him early in the season that they were more of a peanut butter and banana sandwich, their, their, their cohesion, their, their connectivity. They weren't exactly a peanut butter and jelly sandwich just yet. Um, uh, last time I talked to AD was about around the time when I saw you in January. Um, you know, we went on hiatus March 11th, March 12th. By the time in which the season ended, did you see, a, in your opinion, did you see peanut butter banana? Did you see peanut butter jelly? Where were they in, their part, in, in the process, from your perspective? <laughs> uh, that's a crazy analogy, man. You def- you could definitely see the chemistry between those two dudes. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of just having a balance and trying to understand each other's game, man, it was um, – it was it was definitely moving into another direction, but I also say this: they kind of clicked like early, like beginning of the season. They 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 were finding a rhythm and and really and really understanding how to play with each other. Uh, and as the course of the season went on, you could definitely see them two trying to figure out how they can take their on court relationship into a whole another space. So yes, you can see the evolution of of them two guys becoming. Um, a a high, high level elite duo that, um, I think would cause problems for any, any team in this league. You have the distinction, um, of having the ear of many people. Many articles describe it as that, particularly, um, with your, your training, um, just your connectivity. I first became aware of you because I put, you know, when I saw on Instagram, you don't see many assistant coaches cool enough or swaggy enough <laughs> to be on Instagram like that. You know, they they'll get on Twitter, but Instagram is a little stiff. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. The only other player development coach that I know that's cool like that is Jay Hernandez over with the, the Charlotte Hornets. Maybe mm-hmm. there's a few others. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll convince you to get on Instagram. Man. Michelle Obeso Theus is um Michelle is my business manager mm-hmm. and when I when I first met Michelle she was Kobe Bryant's personal assistant. Mm-hmm. Uh, my 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 first year with the Los Angeles Lakers. And Michelle's man, she's been a I want to call her a mentor and a business partner, a good friend. You know, she's really just kind of she encouraged me to go into that space because I'm scoop I'm old school, man. I Social media was like, man, hell no, I'm I'm cool, you know. I've I've always been a guy that's just been more private, behind closed doors type of dude with my work, and she she really impressed upon me how many people wanted to hear from me, or how there was a lot of people out there that wanted to learn my techniques, or they wanted to be able to follow along with some of the things that I do, and. When she kind of put it to me like that, I just kind of looked at her, Scoop, like, no way. Get out of here, Cheryl. Like, this, people don't want to hear what I have to say. And she convinced me to do it. Um, 
about four years ago, five years ago, she was like, you should do it and just post post about your work. She said, you know, it doesn't have to be anything about your personal life. Just just post about your work. And that's how that started, man. I look at it now and I'm I'm blown away by by the whole following and the response of people that that um, that follow me. I noticed you on the bench as an assistant with the Cavs, probably the championship season in 2016. Um, you and I talked before we got on, you recorded about the Bulls last dance and, you know, that whole documentary. I got a question I've been dying to ask you. And you as an assistant coach, you'd be the perfect person to ask during your Cavs day. If the Cavaliers in 2016 were to have a last dance documentary where you guys came down from a 3-1 deficit, what would shock people about you guys' NBA Finals run against the Warriors in 2016 that may draw them in the same vein that many people are drawn to the Chicago Bulls during the 1997-98 season? One, um, well, I think immediately I think what people would recognize is how calm our group was, especially being down 3-1 in that whole that whole series. People would be shocked at how calm we were after losing that game and what the mindset was. I also think people would be shocked at how much of a command coach Tyron Lewis. You know, there's a lot of a lot of media that says, you know, Brown is this, he's a coach, he's a coach killer, he runs the team, blah, blah, blah. They would be so wrong in their assessments and they would have so much more respect for T. Lou and they would have so much more respect for LeBron in the sense that He's, a, he's probably one of the most coachable dudes that I've ever been around um, in a sense in how he approaches the game and wanting leadership. He wants direction from his coaches. And, you know, he's he's one of those players. Yes, every great player is smart. So you would be remiss as a coach not to involve them and, and, and draw from them. But I think the camaraderie of that team, the calmness, and then just the leadership of the team, I think people would be totally blown away by those three things and, and be shocked at what they see. Kyrie Irving um, hit a big shot in the finals against the Warriors. Um, LeBron James had a block of a lifetime against uh, Andre Iguodala so good that it was in the lyrics of a song by Nicki Minaj. Um, I guess my question is that Kevin Love uh, held his own. J.R. Smith held his own. Um, I want to talk about Kyrie with you. Um, when he hit that shot, did it shock you? No, it didn't shock me. But was I like jumping up and down on the bench like a little kid? Yes, 100%. I was not shocked because that was something that we, that area, the court, you know, me and Kyrie spent a lot of time doing a lot of different things where we also honed in on sweet spots on the floor. Mm-hmm. And, and that was one of his sweet spots. So I was not shocked because that was a shot that we practiced, practiced many times. That's real. Scoopy Radio on the line with Mr. Phil Handy talking everything basketball. Um, you also had the distinct honor of being an assistant coach of the Toronto Raptors. And in reading an article uh, today, um, one of the things that stood out to me uh, is an article written by Silver Screen and Roll that talked about how they said you helped Kawhi Leonard improve his ball handling to devastating levels. 
a lot of times, um, I think last season, many people were making Kawhi Leonard comparisons to Michael Jordan, saying that Siakam and, and Michael, or rather Siakam and, and Kawhi, uh, mirrored Pippen and Jordan. Um, hmm. From my perspective, when I look at Kawhi Leonard in San Antonio versus Kawhi Leonard in, in, in Toronto, it seemed like he seamlessly transitioned to playing from a systems role to being the focal point of a team in Toronto. Um, hmm. Which is why I think that the Michael Jordan analysis is not far fetched. From your perspective, was he was he you guys as Michael Jordan? Do you see parallels between he and Siakam during that team? What is what 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 are you give in your analysis of that? Man, that's that's a great that's a great analogy because that's pretty spot on for me. Um, I see a lot of those comparisons and being being equal. Not saying that he's Michael and Pascal sure. is, is Pippen. But you're talking about the roles and how those guys were used and their skill set. Yes, I can see those those comparisons because Pascal was a guy that that handled the ball a lot for us. You know, he was a, he was like a point forward. You know, we ran sometimes we ran a lot of the offense through him as an as an additional ball handler on the floor. And you know, obviously Kawhi was was the go to guy when needed a bucket. You know, that's that's who Nick Nurse you know tried to get the ball in his hands. So. Yeah, those comparisons are not far-fetched, man, at all. And I think when you look at that team, the only difference between you guys, like people were saying, and I was just like, you know, sometimes everybody always wants to make those Jordan and Kobe analysis or comparisons, and I personally think they're unnecessary. Like when you talk about LeBron, for example, I think people put a lot of pressure on LeBron to make him like Michael. To me, he's more like Oscar Robertson, Jason Kidd, or Magic Johnson than he is Michael, just, you know, Mm -hmm. I think Wade and Kobe are more of an equal comparison to Michael. Mm-hmm. That being said, when you look at that Raptors team, um, would you consider – I think the only difference between Michael's Bulls and Kawhi's Raptors is Kawhi actually had a point guard in Kyle Lowry, who I think is severely underrated. Right. You, you had a more mobile big man in, in Marcus Hall and and also um, the guy from – the brother from the Congo. Serge uh, Ibaka. Uh, Yes. Yes. Do you see a comparison with those guys outside of Kawhi and and, and Siakam? Like, do any other guys meet the mold of Phil's Bulls back in the nineties? I mean, you could draw you could draw some of those comparisons. I mean, obviously, like you said, Kyle Lowry is a bona fide point guard. He's an all star. Mm -hmm. You know, he wasn't he wasn't a second fiddle dude. I think I think you look at Serge. Does he remind you of Horace Grant? You know, when he was he was that guy that shot that mid-range pull-up and block shots, long, athletic. You know, could you look at Mark Gasol like a Luke Longley type dude? You know, because Luke was a better passer than people gave him credit for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you could you could stress some of those comparisons, but I really think uh, the style of play that we that we had in Toronto obviously was totally different. Um, I think we played way faster than the Bulls team, and again, the game has changed, right? It's a different mm-hmm. game, different era, different defensive rules, and different different offensive philosophies. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think people could draw some comparisons in that regard. But man, that team in Toronto, man, they they were pretty unique in 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 their setup with the players that they had. Where do you think Kawhi made the biggest transition from his days in San Antonio under Greg Popovich as a player versus under Nick Nurse in Toronto, the way he played the game? 
Well, I think he took everything he learned in San Antonio. Pop, man, and, and, that, and that coaching staff down there, they did a great job of helping Kawhi, you know, turn into an elite player. And, and look, he works. You can't say he's a, he's a worker. He loves the game. But I think he took the basketball that he learned in San Antonio. He said, okay, now let me – I've learned how to play. I understand what's considered good basketball. Now let me take that and let me mix this with Kawhi Leonard becoming his own man, so to speak. And I just – I think you saw him mesh both of those things together. And Nick allowed him to be free. You know, Nick allowed him to to expand his game and explore and just be who he was without any restrictions. And I think because he had the discipline from San Antonio, that helped him, you know, not fall flat, flat on his face. Because, he, again, he understood how to play. And it wasn't about just being reckless, taking bad shots. You know, he was still trying to be very, very efficient at a high level and make make the right basketball plays as he kind of expanded his game. Bill, is LeBron James this season's NBA, or excuse me, NBA MVP? You say, is he this season's MVP? Yes. To me, he is. Why? No doubt. Well, look, I know the team changed. Um, you know, the makeup of the Lakers team changed, but I just think LeBron just does so much for his teammates and himself. You know, and this dude is, what, 35 years old? He was arguably having one of his best seasons again. You know, you go from not making the playoffs last year. You know, the team is reconstructed. We have a new coach, new front office, and a whole new team, pretty much. And this dude is still finding a way to have his team as second-best record in the NBA. Uh, just consistency, man. I think the level of consistency that he plays at every night is it's at a high level. And the MVP to me is, again, is a player of what's the value of this player to his team. It's not about being the, the leading scorer in the league. It's not about, you know, if you win the most games in the league. Yeah, you have to be up there in the top teams in the NBA. But what is the value that this player brings to his team on a night-in and night-out basis? I think that's just – that's kind of the way that I look at that award. That's real. You, um, before the coronavirus pandemic halted play, um, you guys uh, played a pretty stealth schedule. Uh, most notably, it was a Friday night game against the Milwaukee Bucks. You guys took care of business. Um, and then you guys played the Clippers. You guys have struggled with the Clippers throughout the course of the season. There were some things that – you know, we're interesting. You know, the first the first game of the season when you guys played the Clippers, I think Danny Green scored 28 points in that game. Anthony Davis and LeBron were still figuring out their roles with each other. Dwight Howard was being implemented. Okay, then you had the second game. It was um, the game in which um, it was Christmas Day, and there was mm-hmm. maybe a defensive stop or two away from winning that game. Mm-hmm. The third game was postponed because of the timely death of Kobe Bryant. You guys won. Um, you guys played the Clippers. Um, what to you was the biggest transition uh, for you guys uh, in games three against the Clippers versus one and two? I mean, man, I think, I think, uh, I think game one, we didn't play, play that well. You know, they, they, they outplayed us. I, I felt like game two, Scooby I honestly Radio. felt like we gave that game away. I mean, we were, we were in control of the whole game. We were up 15 
what, late in the third quarter. Um, and I just felt like we got a little sloppy. And you give, give the Clippers credit. You know, they did what they had to do to scrap and claw and get back in the game. But I felt like we gave that one away. And I felt like in game three, I just felt like everybody, everybody kind of put their, their – uh, it was almost like a playoff basketball hat. Bron, Bron was – he set the table. I mean, he, he, um, you know, he wanted to, to, uh, kind of like after All Star break, Bron is one of those type of dudes where he starts preparing himself for the playoffs, and you can see in how he plays, he plays different. <laughs> He's just, and so you can see playoff Bron being activated in those two games, Milwaukee and the Clippers. And I think he wanted to, quote unquote, send a message, you know, to the people around the league, saying, look. Let y'all know when I when I turn on turn the gas on, I'm I'm still King James, if you will. <laughs> so I just I think uh, from that standpoint, guys were locked in. I think kind of uh, also hearing, you know, whatever bullshit that was going around the league uh, can't beat the Clippers. So uh, it was one of those days where we I think we we played a little better, played played a little harder, made more shots and and did some of the things defensively that we knew we could do. You guys, a few more questions. You guys definitely have a um, a veteran uh, assistant coaching staff just taking a cursory look. The three that stand out to me the most um, are Jason Kidd, who I grew up watching, uh, leading the Nets uh, to two East Conference uh, appearances. And, you know, also you have Lionel Hollins, uh, who, you know, as a veteran uh, himself, is playing in the NBA and, you know, was a head coach of the Nets, uh, just like Jay Kidd was at one point. What have you learned about Jay Kidd being next to him uh, that maybe you maybe didn't know about him just from seeing him from afar and you guys being from a similar area? Yeah, man, I mean, I've known Jay since we were in high school. So our, our history goes back to, to Oakland. But I think, um, man, just his mind, Jason has a – He's got a really unique mind to the game of basketball and his perspective of interacting with players and, you know, coaching. He's got a unique mindset in how he approaches the game and how he looks at the game uh, from a player side and a coach's side. So being able to, to kind of really just kind of see and listen and learn how he thinks and sees the game, uh, that's been big for me because I'm always trying to grow and learn and, you know, continue to see how other people view the game and what, you know, their strategy. So, you know, just, just his mindset, man, it's really been really big for me to just kind of see how he approaches the game from a player standpoint and a coach's standpoint, you know, having been somebody that played in the league for a long time and then, you know, went right into head coaching. I also liked Jason said something to me one day that was really profound and that when he retired, he obviously went straight into being a head coach, right? Mm-hmm. And so he said to me one day, he said, Phil, man, I just want to learn how to be a good assistant coach. I didn't mm-hmm. get that. I didn't have the opportunity to do that in Brooklyn when I took that job. So I didn't know what assistant coaches did. So I, I want to really learn it, feel it. And I think that'll help me become, it'll help me be a better head coach. And I was, that was profound. That was a profound statement that he made. And that uh, he wanted to really go through that process. You have been a good assistant coach for years. I'm curious to know: Do you one day want to be a head coach in the NBA? Yeah, B, I'm a uh, scoop. I'm a I'm a very organic dude. And okay. I think my my journey to this point 
has been, you know, people ask me all the time, when do you want, when do you, so my answer to that is the time is right. Hmm. I don't have, I don't have a blueprint. I don't have a roadmap. The only thing I control now is, as you said, I want to be the best assistant coach that I can be every day. And so my focus is on my job, the task that's in front of me. And as I'm doing that, I continue to grow. I continue to learn. And when that day comes, somebody thinks that I'm the right man for their organization, and I feel like that's the right organization for me, I'll be ready. But there's no no timeline for that. I'm just I'm just doing my job, Scoop. So whenever whenever that happens, I'll be ready. The realest answer from the current assistant coach on the Los Angeles Lakers: if the season does begin uh, and it starts back up, um, where do you think the Lakers still have to improve? to reach the ultimate goal of winning an NBA championship this season. Scoop B Radio. Oh, man. I think we could, there's always room that we can improve. We can obviously improve the efficiency of our offense, you know, get better with our shooting, uh, get better with our passing. You know, we can, and we can obviously definitely continue to improve on the defensive end of the floor. Uh, it's just always little things, right? It's never too big of an issue, but always the little things that help your team unity. You know, just being more consistent on both ends of the floor and, you know, not having having lulls throughout the game. But I really like the way we were going. You know, Frank Frank has done a great job, man, of, of establishing his culture and what he wants. And I kind of felt like we were chipping away at things day by day. So just, just over, you know, overall, man, continuing to, continuing to see the improvement of our team on both ends of the floor is, I think, where we can just make the biggest leap. You know, that may sound like a, uh, a a PC answer, but to me, I, I look at it from a very small spike, my, microscope and small details, small things. Again, like I said, just improve our shooting, improve our passing. Let's improve the consistency of our defense and the effort that we put in, you know, for 48 minutes. And I, I think we would we would make tremendous strides just from doing those things. You know, that's true. You take a cursory look around your locker room. I've spoke to guys like Danny Green. I've talked to Jared Dudley. I've talked to KCP. I've talked to Whitey and Ethan Who's about this. Number one, I hear that the group text message is lit. But the thing that I hear about you guys' group text messages, it's, it's, it's anything from a joke, a, you know, like memes, to encouraging words, and more. I think the thing right. about you guys' team that really stand out, which, you know, watch it from games one all the way up until the hiatus is, you know, you acknowledge that there's been struggles, but the thing is, you guys aren't chopped liver. You guys are still in first place. Um, and, and, and so when I look at that team, I feel like it's better that you guys struggle out in the open or in the public than head to playoffs, and then those glaring holes become problems. And it's like every step of the way from games one up until when you guys stopped, it's been an improvement. I asked Danny Green about it. I said, what grade would you give the Lakers? He said probably a B-minus or a B-plus. Yeah. No, that's real. I think – um what people don't understand, man, winning a championship is, is hard as hell, Scoop. It's not easy. And so the regular season is for that. The regular season is for you to find out where your holes are and where you need to get better on and off the court. So any team that says they go through a season, they have no problems, it's been a great season, you're in for a whole lot of trouble when you get into the playoffs because at some point in the playoffs, I don't care what team you are, at some point, you are going to hit adversity. And the thing is, how do you deal with it? How does your team deal with being down 2-0? How does your team deal with losing 
the first game of a series that you probably shouldn't lose and you're at home. Whatever the dynamics are, whatever the adversity, every championship team that I've been on since I've been in the league, my years in Cleveland, during the regular season, man, we would have woeful adversity. Some crazy shit would happen. But you figure out ways to get through it, right? And so when you get into the playoffs, you look back on those times and say, man, this is how we dealt with it. We're strong enough. We got over it. We got through it. Let's lock in. Because if you get to the playoffs and you have not dealt with adversity, then you're going to be in trouble. You're not going to know how to handle it. Or time-wise, you don't have enough time to try to fix it. So it's just adversity and, and not being perfect during the regular season is expected and wanted uh, in my mind. You heard it first. Mr. Handy, here's the good news. You're off the hot seat. <laughs> All good, man. Scoop, I appreciate it, man. It's been it's been uh, tremendous spending some time with you. You too, good brother. Be safe out there, and uh, I'll see you down the line soon. My man. My man. Talk to you soon. And this is Scoop B Radio saying, you bring the coffee, and I'll bring the Dunkin'. Kaboom! Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.